0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. First up this week, we are replaying my 2019 conversation with John Turturro. He's up for an Emmy for his role as Irving in Severance, the mind-bending sci-fi office drama. John Turturro is, of course, an acting legend. Lots of directors have actors they like to work with. Turturro is a favorite of both Spike Lee and the Coen brothers. He's a guy with the distinctive looks and voice of a character actor. But unlike some character actors, he can do almost anything. He can play tough, devious, vulnerable, nebbishy, brooding, weird. He is never not himself but no two roles are ever the same. When I interviewed him, he'd just starred in the movie Gloria Bell, directed by the Chilean filmmaker Sebastian Lelio, kind of an English-language remake of his breakthrough 2013 film, Gloria. It's a movie about a relationship between two people who have both already been through a lot. Tortoro plays Arnold, a retired Navy officer, divorced, with two grown kids. He stars opposite Julianne Moore, who plays Gloria. She's also divorced, also has two grown kids. She's been going out dancing a lot lately. The two of them meet, they start dating, but then things get complicated. They have very different family lives, different views about the world. The story gets messy. The performances from both Troturo and Moore keep you transfixed. Here's a bit from the film. This is towards the beginning when Gloria and Arnold go on their first date. I can't
0: get you out of my head. I'm really, I'm constantly thinking about you, just so different. What happened to me with you, I... I thought it was never going to happen again. My head's still spinning. Dad was driving me crazy. I mean, I wanted to, but I was too... Nervous to call you. But I went for it, thank God. So, thank you. Thank you for coming.
1: You're very welcome. John Turturro, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Thank
0: you. Thanks for having me.
1: So I had this thought while I was watching Gloria Bell, which was, you know, you are an actor who is capable of taking over any scene that you are in. And you're also a very experienced writer and director. And this movie is very much Julianne Moore's movie. hmm And I wonder if you consider that when you are preparing for a role like this, that in part, your character, while you're the probably the second lead of the film, is about, as they say, at least in comedy, throwing to Julianne Moore?
0: Well, yes. I mean, I saw the original film, and uh, I thought, I, I love the original film that Sebastian Lelow uh, directed and wrote, and uh, I thought the woman was great, but I also thought the man was quite interesting when he said he was going to, you know, do it again and that Julianne wanted to do it. I read it I read the script and I was a little bit on the fence and then I spoke to a Sebastian and he told me what he liked about the character that you know it's essential that the audience believes that they they have something between them uh and that the guy what he loved about the character was that he kept trying and then Julianne asked me you know to do it so sometimes you do a movie not as much for the role as who you're going to be working with. And I wanted to work with Julianne and I wanted to work with Sebastian and it actually turned out to be quite a, uh, fun and creative, uh, uh, environment. And I really, really, I really loved working with both of them. And sometimes it's nice to be in support of something that I think is, is human. And, uh, and it's nuanced, and it's full of contradictions and stuff. And, you know, and and then there are other times I want to do it, you know, it's for the part, you know, and sometimes you get to do everything.
1: Do you think differently when you are on set acting than when you are on set directing, or even on set directing and acting?
0: Uh, well, yeah, that's a little schizophrenic, because you, you, you have to be the child and the parent, <laughs> uh, so to speak. But uh, that can be schizophrenic. Uh, but... Yes. Yeah. I'm not in, in, in working with Sebastian, I think both Julie, Julianne and I were, we're both, you know, we can speak up for ourselves and maybe both can be strong willed. But with him, we, because he's so smart and gentle, but also firm, we, we really tried his suggestions and then we would, you know, vary it a lot. And he, he wasn't really result oriented. He wanted to see what would happen, you know, between us. But he also had the advantage of knowing what could work from having done it before. So it'd be interesting to work in, with the same people in something that's brand new, too.
1: Uh, I, I'm going to play another scene from the movie, which is called Gloria Bell. And Arnold, which is my guest John Turturro's character, is like, he, he reads some really sweet poetry about love yeah. Um, to, uh, to Gloria, Julianne Moore's character. And it kind of brings her to tears and they lean in and start to kiss and it's very beautiful. And then, as you alluded to, uh, Arnold's outside life intrudes. His phone rings and he leaves the room to take the call then comes back in. Why are you here?
0: Because I'm with you. Then why can't you tell them that you're with me? Well, I don't want to involve them in our thing, no way. No way, why, why drag them into a situation that they're incapable of understanding? Why? So they can say, oh my God, you have a girlfriend? You stupid old man? I'm not old. How could you even think of dating at your age? They, 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 I know them, they'd make fun of me, and why give them the chance?
1: I thought that I would, you know, Um. I'm a part of your life, aren't I?
0: You're the most important part of my life. Well, then
1: I want to feel that. And if you're lying to your daughters, then I'm not. They're grown-ups, right?
0: They're not that grown-up. I mean, physically they are, but I don't know if it's a generational thing, but they see me as their father, not as a person. I've always been the one worrying about them. And they've never worried about me, not at all. A really lonely feeling.
1: Do you believe Arnold when you're saying those words?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You have to believe him. I mean, you know, people who, they always believe what they say, I think. Yeah, I think they do, you know. And uh, that's not to say I couldn't have done it better. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but yes, I, I don't think people think, even people, I don't think he's a liar. I just think he can't, he doesn't have the fortitude or the confidence or the or the courage uh to to sever uh, a relationship and say listen this is what it is you can't call me here you can't do this you know and uh i'm going to start doing things for myself he's able to do a certain amount but not he he can't go the, the whole hog And lots of people are stuck in dysfunctional relationships and where the person doesn't want the best for them. But they, I mean, love is such an ill-defined word. I mean, some people like to possess and control other people. And some people don't know how to get out of that. So, yes, I do think he he means what he says or he's trying to convince himself what he says. But I don't think people, uh, even people who are really, you know, habitual liars, I, I, I think th- they probably uh, can't delineate, you know, when they are and when they aren't. But I don't think th- that's the case. I think he's he's really trying, but he's... Uh, and that was kind of the challenge of it because I, I'm not really... I don't really have that that much in common with him that way <laughs> at all. I mean, I think in that scene, he talks about it and he feels like an outsider and he comes from a different world. Mm-hmm. And that, and and then seeing their family all together makes him feel even more of an outsider because his family doesn't function. And I think if you come from that kind of family, it's hard to appreciate what other people have or don't have.
1: I remember one of my most vivid memories of teenagedom or a set of memories is going to my wife's family's house. and She she and I have been together since we were teenagers, and her family, to this day, love each other very much and get along very well. Right. And I remember being terrified and trapped, feeling trapped by the fact that they liked each other.
0: That's right. (laughs) You're hitting it right on the head. That's what that scene is about. He's he's you or me, uh, especially men, I think, can even can be more that way uh if you're coming from a different background and feeling like well I don't belong here or they have this great relationship that we don't have and I think he's very young that way uh uh or not developed that way you know because later on you may find out maybe they don't like each other as much or maybe that's a great thing and I could be part of that too you know but
1: yes do you have that runaway instinct that he has? I, I, God, no, I, I no, <laughs> I,
0: I, but I, I, I have felt like the outsider when I was younger that I didn't belong because I was with different cultures and maybe people were more educated than me and I was still trying to educate myself and, and, and make something of myself, you know? And then you see people that have all these chances and opportunities and travel all over the world and you haven't traveled anywhere, you know? Uh, and now, you know, I feel... I've been able to, to do all those things I wanted to do, you know, and I don't I don't have that anymore. But I remember feeling feeling some of those feelings that you mentioned.
1: Even more to get into with John Turturro after the break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, we are listening back to my conversation with John Turturro, He's an award-winning actor who starred in nine Spike Lee films, including Do the Right Thing, four Coen Brothers movies, among many, many more. When I talked with Turturro in 2019, he was starring alongside Julianne Moore in the romantic drama Gloria Bell. These days, he's up for an Emmy for his role as Irving on the acclaimed TV drama Severance. Let's get back into our conversation. Did you feel like an insider or an outsider when you were growing up? Like as a kid?
0: I felt like, uh, you know, I grew up in a black neighborhood. I moved to Italian, Irish, Jewish neighborhood, and and I, that was much harder for me than the first neighborhood I was in. So I always felt a little bit like an outsider, yes. I didn't want to go to Catholic school because I didn't feel comfortable. Uh, I think I was right <laughs> about that. Uh, then I got bused out to an all-black school, junior high school. In, in high school, I, I there was a nice mix of people, and I felt a little bit more comfortable, but... Yes, I did. I, I, I felt like there was a bigger world. And I think my parents helped put that in my mind because they weren't closed-minded.
1: Were there places in your life as someone who grew up in a home that was sometimes violent and in a school environment that was sometimes violent? Right. Were there places where you had refuge?
0: Yes. I mean, listening to music, Uh playing sports, uh, dancing, uh, you know, watching movies. I mean, I never knew anyone who worked in the movies, but I can just tell you, you know, those were big seminal experiences, going to the movies or watching, you know, Warner Brothers films on Channel 5 or Channel 9 or Million Dollar Movie that used to be, I always call it the first VCR because they'd show the same movie five nights in a row. And uh, both my parents were movie lovers, and that was a you know a way of uh, emotional transportation and i mean i can i tell you putting music on in the basement and uh you know just all these fantasies i had and stuff and i still do that when i write a script or work on a script or work on a role put on music and you know and i love movement and uh yeah so that that was really refuge you know we never we never really traveled so i had to travel in a different way you know, and uh, now that I have traveled, it's and I travel quite you know a lot. Uh, it's it's so interesting because sometimes I I just go wow. I mean, I just was in Italy and doing press and stuff, but I was like in Milan and looking at the do the domo in in uh, in Milan. And I was like, this is unbelievable. And sometimes it hits me, you know, all the places I've gone and books I've read and things I've experienced, and uh, I used to dream about it, you mm-hmm. know.
1: You're one of the best parts of one of my favorite movies, Do the Right Thing, from... Oh, thank you. ...1989. And I think it is one of the best portrayals of a neighborhood that there is. And the feeling of what a neighborhood is and what it can mean, especially in the city. Right. And it's something that I, I... relate to personally like very deeply even though i'm from 3000 miles away right uh from new york um and I, I imagine that you must have had a similar kind of understanding of the place you were from and that might have been part of how you you know part of how you ended up in the movie
0: well I ended up in a movie because Spike had seen me do this movie Five Corners, and he really, that uh, John Patrick Shanley wrote, and I did a lot of crazy things, in, and it was a great part. And uh, yeah, I really just liked I it. just watched uh,
1: a scene in which you uh, brought a girl, two penguins from the zoo, and then killed them with right. a mm-hmm. stick. And
0: I threw my mother out the window, and all these things. <laughs> so uh, that
1: was serious. Uh,
0: it's a pretty. It's like sort of a King Kong role, and uh, so when he sent me do the right thing. I'd seen She's Gotta Have It, but, you know, I remember the cover. It was this black leather cover and with gold writing, and uh, it was made in this place called Studio Duplicating, because he doesn't type, and they would type your scripts up. Uh, you would hand them in handwritten, and uh, I thought there was something about it that related to what was going on, how I grew up, and uh, we have very, you know, we're, we're born like Three weeks apart, same year, I grew up in a black neighborhood. I only had black friends and then I moved to a white neighborhood and I was not so welcomed and uh at first and he grew up in an Italian neighborhood and uh so you know, when he asked me about the movie, I said, Listen, you know, we were talking about it and I said, I I I'd really wanna play the the racist guy because I think that's what the movie's about, yet he's a big fan of all these uh Black uh, basketball players and comedians and inter- singers. And uh, I thought that would be the more interesting part for me. And uh, we, with his cinematographer, Ernest Dickinson, and and uh, Wynn Thomas, the designer, and Ruth Carter, the costume designer. You know, everyone, we all worked together in the cast for weeks. And it really was a... I knew it was about something that was real. And... Uh, I wanted to make it as complex as, as possible. I, at the same time, I had to get over my shyness at first. Uh, but once we got to know each other, uh, I was able to share things with him, and our relationship was really like cemented, or our friendship was uh, cemented, because I wasn't really afraid to uh, to do that in a way that I thought was fair. It's really been a very meaningful relationship uh, in, in my life, and he's someone I deeply care about. And you know, I remember when the movie was about to come out. Uh, you know, uh, some critics saying there were going to be riots and there was going to be violence in the theaters and stuff. And they never retracted that. And I and I was a little worried because I thought, well, I'm, I could be the victim of that because I play this guy. And I've never, I've, I've never had a negative comment from the from the black community. I've only had been you know positive reaction from it and i was a little worried because there was one girl on set who had never seen a movie before and she really believed i was the guy and she really didn't like me she she told me you know in certain words that she after seeing the footage projected over and over again that she hated me and (laughs) and i told spike i said would you please talk to her and tell her that i'm you know, playing a character. And uh, he laughed and laughed. But that really cemented our relationship. And then I got to do the other side of that equation when I did Jungle Fever with him, which had a lot of my own personal life involved. I put in, you know, contributed, you know, into the script with him. Uh, And I've made a lot of wonderful friendships out of that. So that's a real privilege to do something like that. Uh, And I think... uh, a lot of people didn't realize the, the knapsack that he was carrying on his back, you know, because he likes to stir up the conversation and stuff. But he's a really uh, he's a really good person, and I really love him.
1: I, I want to play a scene with you and Spike Lee from Do the Right Thing. Sure. And your character was named Pino, and he's the son of a guy who owns a pizzeria uh, in the neighborhood. And uh, Pino is... Uh, pretty explicitly vocally racist. And this is a mostly black neighborhood. Yep. And uh, Spike Lee plays Mookie, who's the pizza delivery guy. And he is also kind of a catalyst for a lot of the story in the neighborhood. He's, you know, because of his job and and also because of the fact that he's a Spike Lee character played by Spike Lee, uh, who, you know, Talks and moves and uh, engages with everybody like Spike Lee. <laughs> um, uh, he's, you know, he's like the connective tissue of the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, he's and, the delivery boy. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> so to speak. And uh, and so in this scene, uh, Pino, my guest John Turturro, and, and Mookie, who's uh, played by Spike Lee, are talking in the in the restaurant together.
0: You know, I've been listening. I'm reading. You been reading now? I read. I've been reading about your leaders, Reverend Al, Mr. Do, Sharp Tone, Jesse. Keep hope alive. That's up. Keep hope alive. Hey, that's Don't talk about Jesse. And uh, even uh, the other guy, what's his name? Uh, Farrahman, Farrakhan. Minister um, Farrakhan. Sorry, Minister Farrakhan. Anyway, Minister Farrakhan always talks about the so-called day when the black man will rise, we will one day, what does he say? We will one day rule the earth as we did in, in our glorious past. Yeah, that's right. What past are you talking about? What, what did I miss? We started civilization. Man, keep dreaming, man. Then you woke up. Pino, f- you, f- your f- pizza, and f- Frank Sinatra. Yeah?
1: So, yeah, think, yeah. that's an amazing yeah, yeah that you give him.
0: Well, you know, I think that knowledge is the only power of resistance you have to ignorance, to absolutism, to t- totalitarianism. You know, fascism, whatever you want to say. Knowledge is is everything, and uh, I- and being able to know people individually. And say, okay, well, this person's all from the same group, but I like this person. This person bores me, and this person I'm afraid of. You know, uh, uh, so you need experience, and you need and you, and you need knowledge. You know, whether that's reading, but I think you do also need interaction. You know, with that, and I think we're seeing in the world uh, sort of this anti-intellectual movement. You know, and uh, you know where people give you the answers and blame others. Uh, And and it's, everything becomes black and white and and not gray. And I think that, you know, we're surrounded by, by ignorance. And, uh, you know, once you peel away certain human layers and you scratch at the scab of humanity, you see all this, you would say, primitive, you know, and, horrible behavior in which we've seen throughout history. And that's why when you read a writer, say like Primo, Le- Primo Levi, he talks about, you know, the truce between these wars and things that happen. And people have to be constantly civilized or tenderized in some ways. And I think, you know, storytelling can be helpful, uh, but there's a lot of things that can be helpful. And certainly education is a big thing. And, uh, and not being so I mean when there was forced integration that doesn't always work, but you really need interaction with other people to to get to know them and it's essential and I think it, we're seeing something in the world that is around us right now and it it certainly doesn't feel comfortable to me but I you know it reminds me of like when when you have a A demagogue, you know, the first people that are attacked are intellectuals, you know? That's when books are burned. And uh, so this little microcosm of a scene, you know, deals with, you know, ignorance on a very street level, you know what I mean? But uh, that's something that really interests me, and I've tried to do different projects that that deal with, with, with these themes, because I think they are the major themes.
1: We'll finish up with John Turturro after a quick break. Still to come, the Jesus. We'll talk about his iconic role in The Big Lebowski. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.
0: Hi, my name is Graham Clark, and I'm one half of the podcast Stop Podcasting Yourself, a show that we've recorded for many,
1: many years. And uh, at the moment, instead of being in person, we're recording
0: remotely and uh you wouldn't even notice you don't even notice the lag that's right graham and uh the great thing about the... this go ahead no you go ahead okay and okay go ahead and you can listen to us uh every week on maximumfun.org or wherever you get your podcasts
1: your podcasts It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the Emmy Award-winning actor John Turturro, star of Do the Right Thing, The Big Lebowski, and now Severance. When my youngest brother, Brendan, was about four years old, I think, my father and stepmother had bought The Big Lebowski on VHS from, you know, when at Blockbuster you could buy it. Right, right, right. After it was a new release, they would you right. know buy it for eight ninety nine, and they watched it a lot. Well, it was in a short list of movies they watched. I was like that, and the, I remember The Commitments and Bram Stoker's <laughs> Dracula were the other ones right. they watched okay. a lot of, and uh, all great movies. And uh, my father and stepmother taught my brother to say, "Nobody forks with the Jesus," or at least they claimed <laughs> that they had taught him forks. Right, because he's right. you know he went to preschool and everything. He couldn't just right. go around swearing. Right. Yeah, at the preschool, I think my my father and stepmother might have been okay with that actually, but <laughs> not at the preschool. <laughs> they had some shame. Um, when you uh when you got the part in that film, you had already didn't, worked with. I didn't
0: get the part. I basically I'd done two other movies with them, Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink. And, uh, I knew Fran McDormand from Yale drama school. And they had seen me do a play that they, I played a character at the public. That was, that inspired that character. And they said, Oh, you know, they, they were really, Joel was very taken by it. And, uh, and so they kept telling me about it when I, when I read it, I said, well, I got nothing to do. I only have a couple of little scenes, you know, I, you know, uh, I didn't have to play the lead. And, uh, Anyway, I, I I basically, I was very thin because I had done the film The Truce uh, where I played Primo Levi. Uh, and uh, I was, you know, it was a few months after that. But I thought, you know, let me try to do something. It's a very small thing. So uh, I came up with a few interesting physical things because once I saw the costume. And, uh, and they're my friends and I worked, you know, in big roles with them already, and so I wanted to surprise them a little bit. And, uh, and you know, I, I didn't know what the movie would become what it became because when it came out, it came and it went, you know. And uh, I remember seeing the first cut of my, my introduction. I was I was really embarrassed that they put all these things that I kind of did on purpose, even though they shot it to kind of make them laugh uh, and, uh, uh, you know, like, like eight-year-olds would do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh now i really appreciate the movie and uh, i was saying to people i said you know so many people just completely missed it you know yeah. certainly the critics missed it you know uh but uh you know it's it's kind of like a, a philosophy that film it's a philosophical comedy
1: i worked i worked with a dude underneath the city hall the civic center plaza in san francisco i was a, right. i worked for the department of elections and he told me I was just out of college and he was probably twenty-nine. Right. And we we were the only guys who were allowed to talk. We would carry around these pallets of votes to be counted. <laughs> and and he said to me, you know, me and my girlfriend, heard that I liked the Bingle Blasky. He said, You know, me and my girlfriend, we quit going to church. I'm like, Oh, okay, that's fine, you know, whatever. And he says, yeah, every Sunday morning we wake up, get high, and watch The Big Lebowski.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, this is a strange, it's a a phenomenon. You know, you talk about like all these films that make a lot of money or win all these awards, and The Big Lebowski didn't do any of that. It it did very well in, I think, England, and I know it did very well in Italy, but it just goes to show you, you know, when, when something has resonance, you know, it was years later when I saw it with young people. And I was like, 10 years later, I was like, wow, everyone knows the lines. This is much funnier than I even thought it was. You know, I always <laughs> thought Jeff was superb and just, you know, they've used elements of his own personality and he's just such a beautiful actor. It's just, uh, and John is great in it. But, uh, you know, Jeff captures something that I think people, you know, people don't want to grow up. You know, they, you know, there's a part of people that they, they really admire someone who's unambitious. You know, <laughs> dresses in their bathrobe, and I don't know, but he just it just hit the zeitgeist, and uh, it's very hard for comedies to sustain itself. It usually runs out of steam, and even some of their comedies they've tried, it hasn't been as successful as that. But something about it that is just uh, consistently surprising. You know, and, and human, I think, and I, maybe because it's based on some of their friends, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that's the truth. Uh, but it's a philosophical outlook. <laughs>
1: let's <laughs> let's hear my guest, John Tortoro as uh, the Jesus from the Big Lebowski.
0: I see you roll your way to the semis. Dios mío, man! Liam and me, we're gonna f- you up. Yeah, well. You know, that's just, like, uh, your opinion, man. Let me tell you something, pandeo. You pull any of your crazy shit with us, you flash a piece out on the lanes, I'll take it away from you and stick it up your r- and pull the f- trigger till it goes click. Jesus. You said it, man. <laughs> Nobody f- with the Jesus. <laughs> Uh, That's it, man. You know, (laughs) such a great reaction, take from Jeff Riches. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, man. (laughs) Well, that's just like, you know, your opinion, man. My this is my younger son. He says this to me all the time. He quotes Still About You know, (laughs) this really helps parroting, you know. Oh, my God. Did you choreograph that yourself? I mean, yeah, like maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. choreograph is too strong like, a word. I'm like but... J- Jerome Robbins. <laughs> you know I, mean? I, mean, I choreograph the,
1: all my my numbers. You're known as the I, Tommy Tune of your generation.
0: Yeah, I mean, people. They, 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 because the reason why I don't want to have choreographers and stuff, I I think that movement. First of all, I've done a lot of dancing, and uh, but you want to have unconscious movement because it reveals movement reveals and i don't want to have someone telling me how to move you know i mean if there's a certain dance from the 40s i'll learn it but then i try to add the character stuff to it but that's all my stuff so yeah a few years you know, ago i'm you're... sort of like Anne margaret you know i mean <laughs> margaret is a big inspiration i'm not saying this lightly she is and uh yeah so yeah think of me as the female Anne margaret yeah.
1: Well, John, I, uh, I could talk to you about your many roles for another three hours if we had the time, but oh, well. we're, we're out of time, so okay, I, I'm very, very grateful that you uh, took this time to come. Well,
0: be on thank Bullseye. you. It was a really uh, fun and stimulating and wide-ranging conversation, so uh, that's uh, a pleasure to have. So thank you for having me, and I wish you well, and, and thanks for having me on your show.
1: John Turturro from 2019. If you haven't seen him in Severance, a role that has earned him an Emmy nomination, you should see him in Severance. He is fantastic in it. Everyone in it is great. Go watch that. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. This week at my house... I somehow ended up with more garbage bags than would fit in my garbage can. But don't worry, my neighbor Ruben said that I could put some in his. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Tabitha Myers. We get booking help from Merritt Davis. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme music is by The Go Team. It's called Huddle Formation. Thanks to The Go Team for sharing it with us along with their label, Memphis Industries. Bullseye is also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Find us there. Give us a follow. We'll share with you all of our interviews. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.
0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.